0: Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e commerce brands face today and real world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host and co host. You have Brad and John here we just got done with a recording with Johan of GA4 BigQuery, John, I think you were mentioning, he's he's the CMO for BigQuery. I don't know how would you describe uh, Johan and his expertise out there in the world of GA4 and BigQuery?
1: Yeah, Johan has this really good it's a it's a free newsletter along with a paid newsletter, but he's kind of the authority on like the nitty-gritty of GA4 BigQuery. He, he really yeah. is. Like there's stuff that doesn't work that you think should work and he's figured out ways around
0: it. He's really great. It has a ton of knowledge. So his blog is awesome. Yeah. Tons of info. Yeah. Yeah. So GA4 BigQuery, that'll be in the show notes. There were some technical audio issues during the recording. We just got off with him. So I wanted to make sure to record just in case there were any issues where we can't extract some of his audio. I thought it'd be good regardless, just to summarize some of the learnings that we had, John. I think for both of us, his Google Sheet analogy, that to me is very easy for someone listening to this where you might hear the word BigQuery and like, I don't know, it's way too technical. It sounds like 20 engineers. I'm going to go look at my normal dashboard. Let's share that Google Sheet analogy or metaphor or simile, whatever it is. I don't know what... It's one of those things.
1: Yeah, one of those things. We were saying, what is BigQuery? And I can't remember if it was you or him who said that it's kind of like a giant Google Sheet that's scalable. It's infinitely scalable and it's really easy to query. So you get a place to dump data, but it's more organized than a Google Sheet. And you get to use SQL, which is a query language that's actually really easy to learn. It's much easier to dig into SQL than it is to use like VLOOKUP and all the crazy stuff that you have to do in Excel the table is built to be queried. So that was kind of the analogy. He said it's like a Google Sheet scalable.
0: Yeah, we're in a Google Sheet. I think taking the way he was describing it and went to think Google Sheet, you have multiple tabs. Let's say you're using Supermetrics or some other connector or the native GA plugin to pull data into your Google Sheet. Let's say you have a couple tabs. So you have a tab with Google Analytics data, then you have a tab with Shopify data, then you might have a tab with Facebook data. And then you have a summary tab, which is using functions or you're looking for a key, which is basically a common data point between the GA tab, the Shopify tab, the Facebook tab to join that data together. So transaction ID or email address, depending on the type of data you have, whatever it might be, or customer ID but use that key, which would be that key in the VLOOKUP to then merge all that data together or blend all that data together. So then you have your performance report, which I know likely some customers still do this today, they're listening, or you might rely on Audacity or a Triple Whale or NorthBeam, maybe not an attribution, but more of the, the Dacities of the world to do that for you. And then you have a, another tab, which is the insert table or insert graphic into this Google sheet where you reference the data in the summary tab. Like that to me was like, oh, okay, that's very easy to explain that to somebody who may not understand what BigQuery or a data warehouse is. And how does that relate to what I know in my day to day, multiple tabs in a spreadsheet, sum everything together, blend it, do V lookups, whatever, and then just put graphs on top of it.
1: I think that's basically the perfect analogy or simile or whatever. I think the most important thing is, although these are terms and phrases that people don't know, SQL and maybe BigQuery, this stuff isn't that complicated. It's not built for developers. It's built for analysts. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you should dig into. If you can make a spreadsheet work, then you can make BigQuery work.
0: Yeah. The next topic, let's say if I were force ranking or each one was the real-time conversation. So you and I see this pretty much every day. Now that people have moved over to GA4, something must be broken with Elevar or with my GA4 instance or whatever it might be because I used to be able to see my intraday data in Universal Analytics. Now I can't see that in GA4 and sometimes you have to wait 48 hours. That's the reality of the GA4 UI, so the user interface today, correct? It's slow.
1: Yeah, it's just slow. It says right in the docs, 48 hours. And I think we've even seen more than that, which is horrible when you're just trying to do some simple debugging. If you add a new event, yeah. It'd be nice to know if it works today, not on Friday.
0: Yeah. Before we get into how to potentially solve it with BigQuery, maybe you get the question of well, why is GA4 so much slower than UA? UA, the docs used to state 24 hours and GA4 states 48 ga4 has different ways to visualize data so you have a reporting identity where you have the blended which is the default and then you have device based, which is very i'd say it's very strict on it's going to show you the data based on your user ids that you're sending most properties are set to blended not going to get into which ones is better blended or device id but i don't think even google has it documented but logically blended if you look at the description of blended Google is going to use modeled data to backfill data that they're not able to connect X, Y, and Z to. So that is not real data. They're modeling and backfilling missing data to try to make your data set whole. That can't be done real time. I mean, the processing power alone that they're having to use to do that could be part of the reason. This is just me hypothesizing. Anyways, to get to the real time, the meat of it. So you went through the BigQuery, just the basic connection, and then the BigQuery, the streaming connection. And the streaming connection, that was streaming real-time data to Looker Studio. Is that correct? So what were your thoughts on that process and maybe some tips for those listening to follow?
1: Yeah. So there's two connections you can make from GA4 to BigQuery. By the way, this connection is insanely simple. You're literally just flipping switches. Yeah. So there's nothing complicated here. You have a couple options. One, you can send the process data to BigQuery. It's delayed. I believe it's delayed like a day. It's a little better than the interface. And then in addition to that, you can send live data, real-time data. There is a cost typically it's not prohibitive. It's pretty reasonable, probably a couple dollars a month unless you have a huge site. So basically you can get the data into BigQuery in real time or like 10 seconds delay. What is essentially real time? And then you can start building reports based on that. Brad, I think you've already done this in Looker Studio. Mm -hmm. BigQuery is very universal. If you have, I've been using an app, the name escapes me right now, but it's a charting app and it has a BigQuery connector. Most charting, visualization softwares have a connector to BigQuery. So you're kind of like up and running right away. It's really, really simple. As far as tips, I don't know. I think the only tip I have here is turn on the BigQuery connection that's free. That seems to be an obvious tip, even if you're not using it.
0: Yeah, and the streaming part, like you said, if it's not super cost prohibitive, where's the ROI line where BigQuery is worth it? How much is real-time or intraday data reporting worth to you? Is it worth $100 a month or whatever? I don't know what the amount is. If it is, then go down that route of exploring that streaming connection. And yeah, and once that's configured, then inside of Data Studio, it's just another data source. So when you're adding a data source in Data Studio and you get the option to select all of your GA accounts or whatever else you might be be pulling in, the streaming BigQuery table is just a data source. And then you can pull in your metrics, dimensions, and build your reports on top of that.
1: Yeah. One other thing that Johan mentioned is replicating reports from Universal Analytics think that's a big use case. Mm -hmm. So that's another way you can think about this is the data can be massaged to show you what you want. Whereas with GA4, you're really stuck and it's also really easy to make scoping mistakes. Like you're using a user scope dimension with a session scope dimension and then the data is not showing what you think it's showing. So BigQuery has that ability. Yeah. It's more granular. You have more control.
0: Yeah, the mixing scopes gets me still...
1: I don't know if Google understands what they've done, honestly. I don't know if you saw they recently updated their article on scopes and they added some charts and stuff.
0: Did you see that? Yeah, if it's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Go ahead and describe it.
1: Well, they've added some visuals, basically, that probably should have been there a long time ago. But I've even seen our analysts, and I for my reaction was like, oh, I I didn't realize it worked that way. So there's some very
0: confusing stuff
1: in GA4 with scopes.
0: Very confusing. One being where you can actually you could miss some sessions. So even if you're looking at a session scoped report, you might actually not be seeing all true sessions from different campaigns. I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole. Maybe not. But another gotcha though is the
1: user acquisition report. It only shows the first session information. So if you're looking at that report in lieu of like your old source medium report in UA, don't, it's it's not what you think. Anyways, let's get out of this stuff. This is a rabbit hole.
0: Yeah, so that one, I think I'd post on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago when I was doing one of the scope slides. And yeah, it was, okay, what in the going user to session to event, I just want to know a percentage of attributable campaigns to an order. User was like 50% direct. Session was like 20% direct. Event scoped was like 7% direct, which goes back to your point of don't use, in most cases, don't use user scoped because it's going to be drastically different. But yeah, that's this is probably an episode on its own. I mentioned ROI. When does it make sense to use BigQuery? There's either the time to learn. So whether you're the founder of your business or your e-com team, VPs, etc. Someone may have to learn a little bit about it to at least provide direction if you are hiring a consultant to help. Or maybe have a consultant and you hire them to tell you what to do. Either way, there's still some time investment to go down that path. So where's the like how big of a business is it based on ad spend is it based on revenue growth where do you see this coming into play and what's that ROI threshold.
1: I think to dip the toe in the pool is worth it. I think the ROIs it's very high because if you have anybody who's either interested or somewhat technical they can probably get a looker studio Report built that is showing, and we're talking dip your toe in the pool here, maybe purchases and I don't know, a little bit of attribution information. You can probably do that in a day ish, I would say. And that's you doing it. And that's without background in this. So I would say the barrier is pretty low there. It's almost like an obvious thing to at least try. But if you're talking about building a a huge reporting suite, I don't know, that's harder to answer because it does get complicated pretty quick. The data in the tables is shaped in an unexpected way. And that makes some of the queries if you're digging really difficult. So I think there's like
0: diminishing returns for sure very quickly. Can I ask the so what question without coming off like a D? (laughs) Okay, low ROI or low threshold. So essentially everyone should at least try it of just getting getting BigQuery connected to, to GA4 and pulling in order data. So what? What will I get out of that?
1: Well, one of the things is you basically get permanent storage. So I think that that's a bit hard to argue against. And that's outside of the real-time reporting. So if you just want permanent storage of your data, you can get that by just turning on the BigQuery integration. And I think there's a small charge as the table grows, but we're talking about very small charges. I think the charges come from doing queries so, if you're doing a lot of queries, the cost can go up, but if you're just storing the data, you're fine. so there's that element you get to store the data permanently. that table's never getting deleted. whereas in g a four you have that two or fourteen month window for the explore reports. yeah, do you know what the long term storage is it forever, or is there do you know how long like the data in the standard reporting library lives? No. Yeah, I don't I don't know either. I don't know if there's a a timeline there. But the fact of the matter is your explore reports where you do, you know, user journeys and the really like funnels and funnels, all the nitty gritty stuff. You only have access to that data for 14 months. So maybe that's a so up for you. Maybe you have a long, long history of data and you want to keep it and you don't want to be restricted to 14 months so maybe that's one i think also i mean so what on the real time i don't know i think my use case is different than maybe some of the listeners but but maybe not if you're adding events regularly or doing making any small changes and you want to see if they've worked it's a pain to get the real-time data and yeah you can probably do it maybe there is a
0: real-time report but even the debugger use the live streaming debugger
1: Yeah, yeah, that's another option. You're right. That might work too. But I know for me, I think that like I've built one of these reports and I have it on one of our test stores and I tend to go back to it because it makes everything accessible. Like the whole dashboard thing the simple dashboard with the purchases, the add to carts, a bunch of you know simple e-com metrics that you're interested in. That stuff is hard to get first of all real time and second of all in one small little like quickly browsable report. So, I don't know, for the time I say it's worth it.
0: Yeah. Well, imagine the real time the so what to me, I was thinking of trying to put myself in customer shoes of time is our finite resource. Most all of our customers are using some sort of business intelligence or attribution tool. So it'd be okay, what am I going to get out of doing this in BigQuery when I can just go log into Dacity, NorthBeam, Triplewell, Rockerbox, whatever they're using. I don't know, there's a lot of them out there, a lot of different tools that our customers are using. But that was where my anchoring was going. Can I just go log into this dashboard where it's already done? That way I can spend time on creative strategy or CRO strategy versus going down this the BigQuery rabbit hole. So maybe maybe it's just the real-time, just like something that automates just the real-time reporting.
1: I think one other interesting thing is that all the modeling and all that stuff that happens in GA4 and the signals, that's not available in the BigQuery exports, interestingly. You just get the device-based tracking and the device-based stuff is just basically by user ID. Yeah. So GA4 still has a part to play here because some of that stuff is great, especially if you have lots of consent on the site.
0: Yeah. Nevin, I have Nevin in my, he's on my shoulder right now, uh, where he's giving feedback on. When you guys talk about things with Elevar, make sure you mention if you guys do this. So the device ID, if you're using the Elevar GA4 integration, that user ID, you can see it set in your base configuration tag. So that is set, it is used, it's nothing that you have to go above and beyond and configuring, correct?
1: Yeah, out of the box. Out of the box if you're using our tags.
0: All right, Nevin, that was for you. I had that reminder of making sure that I don't just gloss over potentially small details to us, but questions that uh, listeners may walk away from. Were there any other practical examples that Johan went through?
1: I think we've basically covered it. He talked a little bit about organizations and data availability. So he said a common use case for him, and he's a consultant who does this full time. Common use cases he'll have people in the marketing department wanting access to information that's in GA4, but they don't all have access to GA4 for whatever reason or that kind of stuff, those kind of like infrastructure problems. Mm-hmm. And BigQuery gives you a really controllable place to provide access to and maybe you take that data and pipe it somewhere else where your whole team can have access to it. So there's some access issues. I haven't seen these use cases, so I don't know if I totally get them, but that's what he was saying. He was also talking about consent and maybe this access has to do with consent. Yeah. Johannes in Europe. Maybe there's stuff that we don't know or I don't know about accessing data, accessing your customer data, but those were a couple of the big examples he gave.
0: All right, cool. Any other general news, non-GA4 BigQuery related or anything else? So anything, checkout extensibility, iOS 17, server-side destinations, Yeah. vacations you have coming up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we Actually, you and I went back and forth over the weekend a little bit on iOS 17 and we found that there's this list. I don't have the name of the list off the top of my head. Do you remember it? It's like, it's not known trackers, but it's it's a website that has maybe 12 or 15 click parameter, like click ID URL parameters. And I guess these are the URL parameters that Apple's decided to block coming out of the gates. It's perplexing to me because the TikTok click ID isn't on there.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So go figure why. And click ID isn't on there. And so that, that was weird. I was shocked to see that they're like developing to this kind of just arbitrary list. But maybe we'll link that article if you're interested. I don't think that there's any guarantee that that's where we're headed. I don't think that's the final list. I have a feeling that was just like a good place to start. Yeah. So that's interesting. And then another thing that we learned about iOS 17 over the weekend, and maybe Brad, you knew this, but I didn't. If query parameters are added in a redirect, so let's say you link somebody to your server first. So let's say Facebook gives you a link from an ad and they link first to the Facebook server and then to your store. If the click ID is added during the linking process from their server in the redirect, that click ID actually makes it through. So that FBCL ID would make it through. I didn't test this, but this is what we were reading over the weekend. So kind of interesting little tidbits about iOS 17. We've talked to a couple vendors who provide advertising. Most of the ones we've talked to don't really have any plans from what I've seen. Nobody really has any big plans on what to do here. So that's, I don't know, that's what's been circling around in my head this weekend. How about you? Any news or other interesting stuff to share?
0: Yeah, the iOS 17 is one. Part of me feels like how many of us in this world are just putting, pulling the blanket over our head and hiding underneath our sheets, just hoping something doesn't happen. Or And also, it's a balance of, okay, how big of an issue is, is it going to be? I think I'm pretty confident, just based on a lot of conversations we've had with our team, that our last podcast we recorded, there was thought, well, maybe we'll just move to a whitelist-only query param, but. Uh, probably not really feasible since, as I think quoting Joe our our team was like, yeah, 99% of the websites won't work anymore. You know, Basic things like forgot password redirects or whatever it might be or query params, those just won't function. So I think we probably put that concern to bed where it's going to turn into everything is stripped by default versus just having this list of arbitrary 15 click IDs, which may grow over time.
1: Yeah, that's a really weird, because I, I think that's where they have to go to make this initiative even make any sense. Because I mean, these companies are just going to start changing their click IDs. It's
0: Yeah, rotating click IDs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So anyways, odd. And and I agree with Joe and that it seems like a very heavy handed thing to just strip all click IDs from URLs. It'll break websites. It'll reflect poorly on Safari. You'll be going to Chrome to get, log into your bank because
0: the click ID didn't come through. What about uh, checkout extensibility? So we've had a few larger larger merchants actually take that first step into checkout extensibility. I know that there's the whole, okay, what can we support either through the WebPixel API or through server-side destinations? And then we have the whole list of channels that don't have a server-side API that we can send data to their SDK can't necessarily be either arbitrarily loaded or deconstructed so reverting to using the custom events manager to which is kind of like the order status script page setting in Shopify it's just it's in a different place and it's not as copy and paste there is some technical rewriting that has to be done for any quote-unquote pixels that you'd want to uh, have fired through checkout but any other uh, any other learnings from your your side?
1: Yeah, not really. Just trying to adapt to this new Shopify world. I think I think we're in a really good place with Elevar, and we're doing a good job. we I think at this point we can say we're fully checkout extensibility compatible. But we are still working with their team on making sure that the events that we lean on Fire, and also understanding what they want from merchants and, and services like us in general. Because from our understanding, they want everything to live in either an app. WebPixel, which is programmatically installed, or in these custom event pixels. And there's problems with tracking that we probably definitely don't want to go into here, but there's problems with tracking because it interferes with the standard SDKs that these companies ask you to load, like Facebook's events.js. So I don't know if I'm adding anything here other than just kind of going over the situation and we're still working on it. And I have a
0: feeling we will be for a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going away anytime soon. When I get asked about the, should we move, should we not move? To me, it goes back to, okay, what are the benefits of moving? Are you trying to get to that one page checkout where it's going to be potentially a very clear ROI of increased conversion rate? Can all of your, your top X number of channels be supported in checkout? Facebook, GA4, TikTok, Google Ads, etc. And maintain tracking? Yes, there. I would say the channels that would be no today are probably by having the... Interest so non-purchase, but begin checkout payment steps, having the tracking like a hot jar or mouse flow or heat mapping or something, having that, it's not going to be a higher ROI than getting on checkout extensibility and getting to one-page checkout. I think that's generally the way that I'm, I'm looking at it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I, I just thought of one thing that we learned last week and another one that you and I haven't talked about, but just a little word to the wise Checkout.liquid is what Shopify is deprecating because of checkout extensibility. Turns out that Checkout.liquid actually still runs on your thank you page so it doesn't work in the the checkout steps the add payment info begin checkout add address info but it does still run in the thank you page so it's important if you do this transition with us and we'll guide you through this but this is just a little interesting tidbit if you're moving over you should probably either delete checkout.liquid or strip it completely of any tagging and tracking because we will typically handle that stuff on our side so I don't quite understand why they I guess it's to protect the payment information and the address information is that what you think like why allow it at the time of purchase but not in the checkout pages do you
0: have any thoughts i think it's just it's a domino pure conjecture but it's a domino because the order status or thank you page i think it's still in developer preview for checkout extensibility so I think eventually that'll move into what we consider checkout extensibility where you're configuring within the admin, not necessarily directly within code. So I think that's the, again, just my my interpretation of the roadmap and the rollout and, and what's happening.
1: Yeah, anyways, work in progress, that's for sure.
0: Yep, just to wrap up. Uh, so we'll have a link to that GA4 for BigQuery from Johan. And hopefully the episode and audio will come through. Otherwise, we'd try to summarize the the biggest takeaways from the episode here. And yeah, maybe at some point we'll do a, a video pod going through setting up a real-time report. So a GA4 streaming to a Data Studio report and just uh, yeah, showing you how to do that. And some tidbits on iOS 17 and checkout extensibility. Like John said, as of last release, so last week of July, we... Officially support checkout extensibility, so you can go through an upgrade. Unfortunately, it's not a one-click upgrade because of how you're going to handle checkout that liquid and some other nuances. But just know that that is a goal that we have as from the product side: is how do we make this as one-clickable as possible without the detriment of customization or flexibility? Cool. righty with that. See you on the next episode. See you on the next one. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. In order to help spread the word and just support the podcast, if you enjoyed this episode, share it on Twitter, share it on LinkedIn, send it to colleagues or just send me feedback. I love reading feedback. I appreciate it. Many of the guests that have been on here, they've just emailed and Hey, I'd love to join. Here's some topics. That could be you. Just shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My email is brad at And if you enjoy this podcast, and you want to give us a rating, I would appreciate that as well. You can rate us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you are listening to this. But at the end of the day, if you could just share this and let others learn more about the world that you live in, the world that I live in with e-commerce and conversion tracking, I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.